Hey, Three Crosses family, AJ back here on the Going Deeper podcast. I'm the pastor of Life Groups and Discipleship. Today, we are talking about I Can't Get No Satisfaction by Mick Jagger. We got a lot to talk about in the book of Ecclesiastes today. So with that, let's go deeper. We got a fun one today, the book of Ecclesiastes. Joining me to talk about this book of wisdom is Pastor Larry Volt. Pastor Larry, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, AJ. It's fun to be here. Man, we got such a fun one. The Summer Playlist series has been so much fun thinking about different songs. And, you know, I was really tempted to ask the first question, is what we're doing meaningless? (laughs) <laughs> is it all hevel? Is it just grasping at the air? Uh, and I was thinking about that, about the podcast. So we got a lot of fun themes to get through in the book of Ecclesiastes, um, starting with the context. So one of the things we've been doing in the podcast is just really hammering down context and trying to illuminate the scriptures through thinking about uh, how we receive these books. So one of the things you mentioned is that the book of Ecclesiastes is attributed to King Solomon. So my question is, who is this King Solomon for anybody out there that doesn't know? And why should I care about his perspective in life? You know, it feels like the Bible is ancient. It's a old document. So hasn't our worldview developed about life over time? Like, why should I care about King Solomon's view in life? <laughs> That's a great question. Is King Solomon Hevel, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, to some degree, I'm sure. And, and you know, I, he has a lot in common with, uh, at least at this point in the writing of these uh, words of wisdom, with Mick Jagger, our friend that we're actually spinning off of this uh, week in the Summer Playlist series. And, you know, just a little disclaimer here, you know, uh, I, I'm not a Rolling Stones fan. I didn't even like the song. But when I was asked to consider a secular song that sort of makes us think about spiritual things, I just couldn't get away from this idea and how it links so cl- clearly to uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, where here's Mick Jagger saying, you know, I, I can't get no satisfaction. He had terrible grammar, by the way. That was uh, really not, <laughs> he didn't pass uh, his eighth grade English class probably, but you know, but it still works, right? And it's like, and and that's the kind of the way a lot of people look at life. And that's the way King Solomon, and who is King Solomon? King Solomon was the son of David. He was the the heir apparent to the throne of David. And, and yet, you know, Solomon uh, had siblings. We know about Absalom and Adonijah. There was a lot of deception in the household of David. But Solomon was the son born after the born the baby that uh, David and Bathsheba had conceived had died. And so we recognize that uh, Solomon has a very interesting beginning. Uh, his mother Bathsheba, his father David, and becomes the king of Israel, uh, reigning around 970 BC uh, to about 930, I believe, somewhere in there. And and Solomon was, by all rights, the wealthiest king that Israel ever had. Um, in fact, this is why there were problems later on with the divided kingdom, is that there was uh, some uh, regret and, and uh, well, not regret, I, I suppose, uh, some bitterness uh, toward the northern kingdoms 
the northern tribes in terms of uh, giving uh, taxes to Solomon. Uh, Solomon, you know, if you've traveled in that part of the world, you can see Solomon's chariot cities and his aqueducts and all the things that he built and and the temple and all the things that Solomon invested in that made uh, the the world uh, obviously uh, uh, something grand. And so, so Solomon had, I guess I would just say to your question, why should we listen to him? Well, uh, we know from Scripture that uh, all Scripture is inspired by God, God-breathed. And so even though Solomon was a failed human being like all of us are, um, God used him. And God had given him a measure of wisdom. In fact, when God asked Solomon when he became king, what would he give to him? I think in 1 Kings chapter 3 and 4, uh, Solomon didn't ask for money or power. He asked for wisdom to rule the people. And so God said, because you've asked for this, I'm actually going to give you these other things. So God actually blessed Solomon in some incredible ways. So Solomon, you know, uh, had his flaws. Certainly, boy, we could talk about that. Um, <laughs> like, how could a man <laughs> that we say was a great wise person, you know, <laughs> we could go into detail. 700 wise, 300 concubines. Okay, come on. Doesn't seem very wise. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my goodness. But God used him, and there was some amazing wisdom that comes out of the life of Solomon. And so in the scriptures, a man who is known for wisdom, I think we should give him a listen. Yeah, I think it begs the even deeper question of like, why do we care about anybody else's perspective on life except for our own? Because mm-hmm. I think that is a big common uh, objection to a lot of people is just like, oh, that might be nice for Solomon or that, that might be nice for Pastor Larry or AJ, you know, but like for me, it's different. So like, what's the wisdom to be had in listening to people in the scripture, people, you yeah. know, engaged in the scriptures as well. It, well, you bring up a great point. I think if we're really honest, we think our opinion has far greater weight than anyone else's at any given time. Uh, we are all these little mini potentates that decide you know, what is right and best. But obviously, we recognize that there is something about listening to and gleaning from others' experience both good and bad. You know, we can learn from people's triumphs and we can learn from their defeats. And so I think it's almost, you know, talk about hevel or foolishness to think that you can like garner the best sense of what is right in your life by yourself in sort of this vacuum. So I think mm. there is a, there is a value from learning from anybody and everybody, and yet we have to put it through the grid of what God's word has to say. So we're not saying that anybody, including the writers of scripture, were the ones that we should just bow down to, so to speak. Um, we're all um, broken human beings, but God has chosen to use some in different ways. So mm. yeah, I think there's a lot we can learn. Yeah, for sure. And so you brought us to the book of Ecclesiastes to try and find satisfaction as opposed to Mick Jagger. Um, mm-hmm. I want to start with the conclusion that you brought out because I think it kind of sets the the tone of the conversation um, in Ecclesiastes 12 verses 9 to 14. And you talked about there being a Kohelet, the, the teacher, the wise teacher. And um, it's kind of a break from the teacher's voice. And it says, hey, be warned of anything, you know, of making many books, there is no end and much study wearies the body. And then it comes to this. It says in verse 13, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. 
And I really want to focus on that fear God and keep his commandments uh, verbiage because I know in the other wisdom literature, it really boils down to that, that phrase, fear God. Mm-hmm. And I know that's been a topic of much discussion. I'm wondering if you could unpack what does it actually mean to fear God? And how does that associate with keeping his commandments and uh, some of the other stuff he talks about? Yeah, wow, that's great. And by the way, verse 12 uh, was my life verse when I was in college because uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> the making of many books is endless and and the study, uh, what, much study wearies the body. Yeah, I mean, that was like my favorite verse uh, of the Bible. But yeah, you're right. So here's this summary statement. You know, the the fear of God, many times when people hear that phrase, they immediately think of like a cowering fear or like, I'm afraid of. And and in a sense, there's some element of truth to that. But the idea is a reverence. It's an approach to recognizing that you're in the presence of a being that is other than yourself and and quite different and quite wonderful um, outside of yourself. And so to fear God is to recognize, uh, really, to recognize who he is, that he is the uh, probably the antithesis of, of everything that, um, that we consider to be, well, I shouldn't say antithesis, because we, we've been created in the image of God, right, AJ? So we know that God has um, put some sense of who he is in our hearts. And that's a beautiful thing. And yet when sin entered uh, Genesis 3, that paradigm was broken. We, now we're broken, and yet we're still in the image of God. But it's like to see the image of God is is a, more of a dim mirror. It's a broken mirror, I should, I should say. And so the fear of God is the recognition, I think, of who he is, and therefore living appropriately under who he is. Um, you know, it's kind of like if I... You know, I have a great, and I'll say it this way, I have a great fear of the ocean. Um, I, I do a lot of fishing out in a little kayak out in the ocean. I have to go through the breakers. And once I get out there beyond the breakers, it's just magnificent. And it's big and epic. And there's swells. And it's beautiful. And there's, <laughs> I've seen whales breach and things that go by. And, and yet all the while, there's like this sense of, I'm in an environment that I must bow down to. I, I am not the master of this environment. So mm-hmm. I mean, I would liken it a little bit to that, that when we come into the presence of God, we we recognize that he is bigger, greater, more tra- he's transcendent. There's nothing that we can apply that even comes close to his likeness. Um, and so we we bow. So the keeping of his commands is like, well, what what does it mean to follow him in what he says? So as we keep his commands, we we enter into what brings flourishing and power and beauty and, and, and life as it's meant to be. Hmm. Um, so I think what the teacher here, Colette, you know, which is a little discerning critic through the book, you know, that Solomon uses as kind of this um, teaching mode to either shock us by good or by bad, uh, the teacher is saying, look, when all has been said and heard, this is the thing. You've got to just get right with God and you got to see him for who he is. And I think the, this book, Ecclesiastes, doesn't really frame much of that, except it sort of opens the question as to what that should be. Uh, and right here at the very end, it's like this, this should be our pursuit. This should be the thing that we go after. And most people don't. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I was thinking about a message I gave to a bunch of high schoolers maybe a couple of years ago. And I basically asked them like, what do you want in this life? Like, what are you searching for? And 
I just wrote down all their responses and it was sort of an experiment because I was pretty sure that it was going to lead them to God in some sense. And so I really loved what you did in the sermon. You brought out six different areas where these things fall short in our pursuit of satisfaction. And there was this time in your sermon where you started to talk about how how God is the center of all of those pursuits. And so I really wanted to walk through those six areas and ask you if you could talk more about why God is the center of those pursuits, even though we might not be able to see it sometimes. Yeah. So the first category that you brought up was wisdom. And so how is God the end of our pursuit of wisdom? Yeah. Well, there's no one more wise than God himself. And and so in this idea of knowledge, intellectualism, you know, the knowledge and, and God is, God's word, beautiful, is not saying that this is wrong. It's just saying it's not enough. It's saying that, you know, if you put everything into your life in pursuing this intellectual wisdom, you're going to still fall short because God himself. But, but here's the deal. You're, you're actually hungering for that because God is the source of wisdom. I mean, he, uh, Colossians says of, of Jesus that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And if Jesus is God incarnate, then we can understand that what is being said here is that even though we have this desire, look at all the higher learning of, of, of the country, great universities and Oxford and Yale and all that, you know, these high think tank, Harvard, you know, and yet there's no end to it because, um, because that's even as, as Coalette has told us, uh, much study wearies the body and there's no end to the books. But God is the end of that. In all of these substitutes, there is a kernel of what is God. And, and that's why we're sort of, that's why we're pursuing these things, I think. Um, we're actually looking for God but we're just not in the right spot, or we or we put it all into this reductionist view that if I just have all that, then I'll I'll have what it means to be satisfied. So how does that work out with pleasure, which is the second one? Pleasure. Yeah. Well, you know, in the Psalms, uh, David said, "At your right hand are pleasures evermore." You know, the, uh, if if you think about pleasure, and we all love pleasure, right? Uh, pleasure is a gift from God, and and so this thing in our hearts that are yearning for pleasure. The psalmist says, I think it's chapter 16, Psalm 16, is, uh, it says, if we are in the presence of God, there's eternal pleasures evermore. So God, again, is the source. But we settle, it's like C.S. Lewis, I think you've probably read where C.S. Lewis talks about most of us are like little children playing in the mud when we could have a holiday at the sea. Um, you know, we're satisfied with the mud pies instead of the holiday at the sea. And C.S. Lewis likened that to how we, you know, go around with wine and drink and sex and all these things that we think are like the ultimate pleasures of life. And it's only pointing, those are things that are vestiges and have a, an element of, but they're not the fulfillment. It comes in the, in the Lord himself. Not that those things are necessarily bad. Some of those things are bad, but God has created certain pleasures to be for the blessing of his people, and yet we exploit them and we maximize them and we make them, the, as philosophers say, the summum bonum of life, the ultimate end, and they're not. Hmm. How about materialism? How does How is God at the center of materialism? <laughs> it's kind of weird to say, yeah. but... Uh... Well, I, I think, you know, uh, the builder of all things is God. I think, you know, again, we're kind of, we're just kind of poking away at the fact that our quest to think that satisfaction comes in the stuff 
we you know look at what God created the universe. You know, in, in Psalm nineteen, you know the stars declare the glory of God. There there is something about, and this is why Solomon when he built the temple. I mean, and Grant, if you've traveled in Europe and you've gone to the great you know uh, um, edifices of churches throughout Europe. There was often this sense of we want to do something to the honor and glory and the beauty of God. And these were all temporary dwellings, and they're all going to rot and burn. But I think I, I think inside of us, as we're thinking about, you know, the people that, and by the way, we're rich. My home is a is a a palace compared to some people in the world and where they live. So I, I think you know the point. The point is. I think the materialistic side is not that God wants us to be material and that that is the focus of life, but there's this something about the substance of things that can be beautiful and grand and spectacular and and all of that is pointing us to a God that creates and designs and makes beautiful things. How about labor? We got a couple more. Labor. Yeah. yeah. How, is, uh, how does yeah, God well, speak into this idea of yeah, labor? Yeah. Well, boy, you know, you read the first chapters of Genesis and God worked. God's working. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and he's working and he tells us to work too. And so there's something about work that completes us in a way. And boy, some people make that the end of their life too. They're going to pursue work. We've known about workaholics. You get hooked on work. Uh, you're going to achieve more and more and more. But again, I think... The fulfillment of that is a God who has worked in history and has manifested his work, the greatest of which is the work of the cross, redemption, the salvation of souls. And so work is a beautiful thing, but it just can't be the end. Uh, he, there's a rhythm of rest that God calls us to. And so God is not only a God of work, but he is also a God of rest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Relationships. Two more here. Yeah. Relationships. Yeah. Relationships. You know, we we often think people in the world think that you know, if I just knew the right person, if I just was connected to the right person, if I just had my right the right friends, if I was married, if I was whatever. Um, people think that people are what it's all about, and that's not a bad thing. Again, because God made us to be relational. But even in this book, um, you know, there's the reminder that yes, two or th- two are better than one, but a, th- a cord of three strands cannot be quickly broken. Again, we're bringing into this idea that there's something missing. If it's just you and me, even in a marriage, beautiful, but there's still something missing in that. And what's missing is what God can bring and what God does in a relationship, in a marriage, in a friendship. Uh, we see that in the scriptures. So I think relationships are maybe one of the greatest signposts to what it really, what God has intended in terms of beauty and joy um, in this world. And that is the people that are around us, our family, our loved ones, um, and the body of Christ. Pastor AJ, isn't it amazing when you think about when we gather together, we get little glimpses of what heaven is like when we're gathered together in worship and in prayer and serving the Lord out in our communities. And yet, let's not get that totally mixed up because because we're broken, that's also a strain at times. And even the body of Christ can be, not by its design, but by the sinfulness that enters into the body of Christ, there can be a lot of problems there too. And so people get disappointed with relationships in the church. And again, all of these things should be pointing us to the one who fulfills it all, but we make it an end and we fall short and we're dissatisfied. 
I think I might know the answers to this last one, but I'll ask it anyway. Religion. How is God the end of religion? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, with God, it gets it all right because right. religion, and you know this from the book, uh, the way religion is poised, even in this book, which gets some good things said, you know, guard your steps when you go into the house of God, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, chapter five. I mean, there's a sense in which what we're learning in Ecclesiastes is that religion can be a good thing, but we must order our lives appropriately. But in the book of Ecclesiastes specifically, this idea of religion is more of a human sense of what we need to do to get things right with God. And even though that can be ordered correctly, that misses the point too. And boy, we could just stop right here and talk about the way every world religion and even Christianity in the sense of it being a codification of principles and laws and tenets and all of that, all of that falls short and it becomes mechanical and rote. And think about all the people, you might even be listening today on this podcast, you might be a person that is religious but not have a relationship with the living God. And this is what God wants to break through in all of our lives. And people that make religion the end in itself um, are gonna be really disappointed. Even as followers of Christ, we might get too tilted on that axis and and really miss the blessings that God has for us, become cynics, become, you know, um, just kind of mean-spirited. Some people even, I don't know, uh, I'll say it, that people leave the church because they're so soiled by the the brokenness they see in the church and they, they feel like it's marring them in some way. And they're just not being honest. Like we're just, and I know we're going into a different field here, but... Um, <laughs> So the whole thing about religion, spirituality, from a human standpoint, it's going to miss the mark every time. It doesn't matter what religion you're looking at, even Christianity. Well, in every episode, I always try to come up with a skeptical question through the skeptic's lens. Yes. It's quite hard because, uh, you know, we're covering a whole book. So I was like, how am I going to be skeptical to the skeptical teacher? <laughs> uh, pull reverse jujitsu, I guess, here. <laughs> yeah. But... um. I find it interesting knowing the book of Ecclesiastes, it does seem like he comes to some sort of conclusions every once in a while. So I counted five different times where he says a phrase that sounds like this. So pulling from chapter two, verse 24, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This too, I see is from the hand of God. Um, looking at some of these other verses, each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Uh, enjoy their work. Uh, who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Uh, here it is again. For a person, it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor. So I found this uh, to be sort of an interesting thought because I know our culture has this phrase, eat, drink, and be merry. And it sounds sort of close to that. And yet, um, one of the things we were talking about off air was like, we as Christians kind of have this weird relationship with satisfaction. Some of us feel like maybe we should shy away from it because, you know, maybe we're, we're afraid to, to feel that satisfaction with God or, you know, um, it seems like, and then listening to you walk through those six things, it seems like there's been something hardwired into us to like try and find those things. And so I guess my skeptical question in all of this is like recognizing that we are humans 
and that we are hardwired to, you know, want relationships, want the right religion, want labor, want material, want like pleasure and want wisdom. What do we, what do we do with those? Like, what do we do with all those feelings and uh, how do we honor the Lord with those? Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a great question. And let me just see if I can, you know, address it this way. I, I think in the in the life under the sun view that this book is actually presenting, it's giving us this view of all these things, as good as they may be on their own and in their own respects, um, they do fall short. And so if you're going to live in this world, you know, one way of being marginally satisfied is just simply to recognize the inherent goodness and qualities in those things. And I think that's what the teacher is saying here. He's saying, you know, if that's only the place you're looking, there is a modicum of of satisfaction that you can experience. And in fact, this is really the, when we talk about the different ways that God loves, you know, this is like the, in, in God's um, unconditional love of giving people that hate him, that have no desire to submit to him or to follow him in any way, yet he still gives them these pleasurable experiences. And people can have a level of fulfillment in them. And so I think the the teacher is reminding us of this. And so this is one perspective. It's a perspective of life under the sun. And and so now if we're going to just like switch that and say, well, what about a believer? Someone that really like knows that these things are not the ultimate things. I think it it speaks even stronger to the fact that we should be finding greater levels of contentment in our lives mm-hmm. because we can experience the good parts of these things in balance because they've not become our ultimate end. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think for me, you know, and and I, we were talking just before we went online here that, um, you know, as a follower of Jesus, I still find myself at times chasing things in the world as if they were the ultimate. But by the Spirit of God, he kind of stops me in my tracks and he says like, you know, what are you doing here? You know, why are you searching after these things? You know where ultimate um, fulfillment comes. It comes from me. So I think this this book becomes kind of a big signpost for a for a believer to say, I have been given great things that I can find satisfaction in, and these all come from the hand of God. Work, pleasure, um, the the stuff that I have in my life, the mind that God has given me, relationships, even my expressions of religion, so to speak, in this relationship I have with God. All these things are gifts. And I should cherish them and I should have them always in balance in my life. Mm. Um, and so I think that just kind of keeps us on the tracks, so to speak, uh, because ultimately we're going to someday get before the Lord. And like in, Paul says in Corinthians, right, that no eye has seen, he's quoting from the Old Testament, no eye has seen nor ear has heard the great things that God has in store for us. So one day we are going to be blown away with what we thought was going to bring us ultimate satisfaction. But we get little whiffs of that through life, which is really beautiful. And we do that like when we worship the Lord. Sometimes it comes in prayer. Sometimes it comes when we, I mean, in weird times, you know, you see a funeral and you recognize all the person that all the stuff they amassed is just gone. I mean, they, they, someone asked, you know, how much did he leave behind? He left it all behind. You know, there's nothing that we're going to take from this world, except we can store treasures up in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. And that's where we invest in God's kingdom work, invest the things that really matter in life with our money, with our talents, with our work, with our pleasures, with everything. We we do it all. Paul says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. I love that. This is a form of worship for the believer and it becomes satisfying. 
it sounds like the Christian worldview kind of gives you this higher view of what's to come and kind of places these desires in their rightful place. And um, there's this war of disordered desires. That's a phrase I've heard before. Just like um, sin is just Satan taking our desires and disordering them and chasing after something. Which brings me to my closing question here. Um, you had a quote in your sermon notes from uh, Peter Kreeft, the three philosophies of life that just was like, oh my goodness, that is <laughs> such a good quote. And I can't help but read it here. Of the 21 great civilizations that have existed on our planet, the modern West is the first that does not have or teach its citizens any answer to the question of why we exist. The modern West simply leaves individuals free to choose or create their own ultimate values, which another way of saying this is that our society has nothing but its own ignorance to give us on this most important question. As society grows, it knows more and more about less and less. <laughs> so powerful, so profound. Um, and I can imagine based on what I just said, that our culture out there has no higher, you know, structured of thinking and are just striving at different things, at different um, philosophies of different answers to the question, what is the meaning of life? Why do we exist? And so to close out this podcast, talking about trying to find satisfaction in this life, trying to find the tough answers that the Kohelet is trying to figure out, where do you suggest we even begin? You know, not all, you even said not all of us pedal in philosophy. We're not going to pick up Aristotle or Plato, you know, um, but all of us are just embedded with this deep question. Um, I think it comes out of Ecclesiastes that we've been, eternity has been written on our hearts. So pastoral wisdom here, where do we even begin um, now that this can of worms has been cracked open in the book of Ecclesiastes. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. That That is so beautiful, Pastor AJ. Yeah, I think it's really simple, actually. And it's it starts with just leaning into learning and knowing the God who set all this up. You know, and that's in fact what, and we talked about this a little bit, on, on in the sermon that this is this is why most people are not in interested in reading the bible because they're really not uh, you know we mentioned philosophy we're all our own philosopher we're we're the we're the chief philosophers of our lives because we all have a an a, a reason for our existence that we've made up um and like Kreft says you know we're just we're just pooling our ignorance around and doing what we want to do but i think if you want to break that in your life and not just be a part of the ignorant masses, and, it's, and it sounds very judgmental to say that because, you know, there are incredibly intelligent people, you know, that are way beyond my intelligence by far. I don't know, Larry, and people, <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. No, man, I know. But the point is, it's like, and yet there's this God who just puts on the lowest shelf this fact that if we could know him, you know, um, and in fact, the way Jesus said it, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, there's something about knowing God in a personal way. This is eternal life that they might know the one true God and, and him whom he has sent, Jesus said, John 17. Um, and so really, it's like, if you really want to know what life is about, you just got to get to know him. 
it's so it's not a thing it's him it's just knowing him and he'll just keep opening your eyes and we know this but this is the beautiful thing of the church it's a beautiful thing of preaching it's a beautiful thing of sharing our lives we just open just our testimonies open the conversation for people and someday by the grace of god he takes the scales off and he lets people see that this is what life's about until he does that you know people are still going to just wander around i met a guy uh, i maybe mentioned him on sunday but there's a guy i met in the gym recently who in a conversation about who god was he just he just went after the fact that uh, the universe is god and and there's you know he worships the universe and i thought wow you know, again, the reminder of the, the the ultimate is being just channeled into this one little reductionist thing, or God is so much bigger, and God just has to be seen. This guy could just be blown away if he could see it, but he, you know, I'm just going to share my story and see where where it goes. So I don't know. I'm maybe a little off the question on that point, but it's knowing and following the Lord. That's the greatest way to crack this treadmill that everybody's on, and that is to just know the one who put it all together, and that we, in knowing him, we've got it all. I love that idea where it's, uh, you know, scales falling off from the eyes, and so in the sense, God is in control of that, but also, if you have questions or want to have conversations, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, We'd love to have conversations, and if you're open to it, open to hearing the word of God come from the Bible, like, We'd love to have that conversation. So definitely reach out if you're out there listening. And uh, Pastor Larry, I feel like we got some satisfaction out of this podcast, <laughs> but uh, we'll have to tell Mick Jagger. But, uh, we hope he finds it soon. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we hope he finds some satisfaction. And we hope you found some satisfaction out of this conversation. Pastor Larry, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Pastor AJ.